Today's Bible reading is from the Gospel of Mark 9 verses 30 to 37. Jesus predicts his death a second time. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, I've brought you here to the SCG, the famous Sydney Cricket Ground, because I wanted to talk about greatness today. Talking about the greatest of all time, or the GOAT, as the youngsters like to say these days. Who is the GOAT? Who is the greatest of all time? If you're following tennis at the moment, there's a lot of discussion about who is the GOAT? Is it Roger? Is it Rafa? Is it the Joker? In an Olympic year, we've been hearing about lots of different GOATs, the greatest of all times in different sports. I remember one of the American uh, gymnasts actually had a little sequined GOAT uh, sequined into her leotard, which is a fairly audacious statement, I thought. But who is the GOAT in your particular field of endeavour? It might not be sports, but for me, it always was sport. For me, this place here, the Sydney Cricket Ground, is where I would come growing up to watch the goats. For me, I always wanted to be the greatest in whatever sport happened to be on TV that time. If it was football in the winter time, I wanted to be the greatest footballer of all time that used to be watching the grand finals played here at the SCG. If it was summertime, it was, of course, the cricket. Grew up watching the War Twins play here. They were my favourites. Later on, Adam Gilchrist, perhaps, I reckon was my goat, my favourite. So for me, it was always sport. But what is it for you? I reckon, you know, what most of us, I reckon, at, at some point strive to be the greatest, at least that we can be in our field of endeavour. It might not be sport. It might be music for you. Uh, you might have great arguments about who is the greatest guitarist of all time, the best filmmaker of all time, the best poet, the best writer. Is it Shakespeare, Dostoevsky? We're always arguing about who is the greatest. But for me, it was always the sports stars. Who is the greatest footballer? Who was the greatest cricketer? And indeed, talking about who is the greatest is the talking point of the disciples today. Now reading from Mark chapter 9. The story goes that uh, Jesus is, is teaching them for a second time a very important concept. He's trying to drive home a very important concept, trying to teach them about the nature of true greatness. For the second time, he sat them down and he said, listen guys, this is not going to end how you think it's going to go. This is not going to end in worldly glory and acclaim and adulation of the, from the crowds like you think it is. Your idea of greatness and mine is very, very different. So for the second time he tells them, listen, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be killed before being raised again. Now, they couldn't understand this. They couldn't get their heads around this. This was a foreign concept to them. They were still thinking in worldly terms of greatness and power and prestige. And so after telling them that 
Listen guys, this isn't going to end the way you think it's going to end. It's going to end in my humiliation and death. They, he, in one of the great face palm moments of Jesus teaching, I reckon, one of the great moments of frustration for him, he, in the very next sentence, we, we find that he, he, he overhears them arguing about who is the greatest among them. Can you believe it? How frustrating must it have been for Jesus at this point? Just telling them, no, no, I, I'm not seeking worldly acclaim and worldly power. I'm actually going to be rejected and betrayed and, and, and killed. And here they are arguing about who's the greatest among them. He must have been so frustrated. I mean, you can imagine the discussion amongst them. Well, he called me first, or I healed the most lepers, or yes, but he took me up the mountainside. And they're arguing amongst themselves, trying to push themselves forward, arguing about who is the greatest. So Jesus, in his frustration, sits them down and he, he tells them a value, teaches them a valuable lesson. And he teaches us a valuable lesson about the true nature of greatness in his books in God's books he says if you want to be first you've got to be last and servant of all if you want to be the greatest you've got to be the least and the servant of all so to put it in sporting terms I might we might translate it as Jesus saying listen if you want to be the greatest forget about scoring the match-winning try in the grand final forget about scoring a, a century on debut for Australia he said, if you want to be the greatest, strive to be the ball boy. Strive to be the trainer running drinks out onto the field for the players. Strive to be the, the strapper, the, the trainer that runs out and bandages up the injured players. That's true greatness in my books. That's what Jesus is saying. Or to push the analogy even further, Jesus might have said, you know, if you seek to be, you seek greatness in this life, forget about raising your back to the crowd in front of the grandstands and the cheering hordes. Forget that. You should strive to be the guy that is there for hours after the crowds have gone and is there sweeping out the grandstands, cleaning up, hosing out the change rooms. That's true greatness in my books. Jesus, as he so often does, turns worldly wisdom on its head. And here he turns our concept of greatness on its head. And to drive the point home, he, he, he brings in a little child, doesn't he? Again, in Imagine he's here at the SCG. You might think of him getting a, a kid off the hill, bringing a little kid, brings them in and puts them in front of the disciples and says, hey, look, have a look at this, guys. If you want to know what true greatness looks like, look to this little kid. So if you're overlooking the last and the least, the little children in order to sort of, the adoring sort of superstars with their fat contracts and their, the adoring, cheering crowds, then if that's your idea of greatness, then you've lost the plot. You're on the, you're on the wrong path. But if you would welcome one of these little ones, if you'd welcome a, a child that everyone else overlooks in the same way that you'd welcome an opening batsman for Australia, in the way that you'd welcome the captain of the Australian team into your living room, into your life or into your church, then you've discovered the true nature of greatness. Then you're on the right path. So Jesus is here trying, he's trying to teach them and us about what true greatness looks like, doesn't he? He's upending our thoughts, upending worldly wisdom. Jesus here, I reckon, uh, is, is, is wanting to, to show us a different way of, of looking at things. And when Jesus 
When Jesus actually talks about going to his death, he's embodying it for us, isn't he? I don't think he's saying that, listen, there's a, a course of events set in train that I can't possibly change. He's saying, no, no, I'm going to willingly do this. I'm willingly going to my death. I'm willingly giving up worldly acclaim and glory, and I'm doing it for you. I'm going to die the death that you deserve so that you might live. He's saying no to worldly fame and, and willingly, uh, by his, of his own volition. He could have called down legions of angels to just rain down fire and burning sulfur on the Roman army. But no, he, he willingly went this path of, chose this path of non-aggression. He willingly absorbed the violence into his own body, didn't he? Never repaying violence for violence, never retaliating. Famously, what did he say is there? Driving nails into his hands. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. This is radical stuff. Praying for the people who are driving nails into his body. This is radical, life-changing stuff. So Jesus gives us this lesson, not just to sort of rejig our understanding of greatness, but to encourage us to go and do likewise. This should be something that we all strive to do, to not seek our own glory and power and, and adulation. We might not see ourselves as the sort of people that elbow other people out of the way, but, but even if we're just seeking our own comfort, even if just a nice cup of tea and a bicky and a scone and some Netflix tonight is, is what you desire, then if that's all that you're after in this life, then it's still a relatively selfish way of living your life, isn't it? So what does this look like in practical terms? Well, I think we've heard from some true greats, haven't we, in recent weeks. We've heard of people pouring themselves out like Jesus in service to the last and the least. Last week we heard Andy Ford talking about how he's moved to the other side of the world, to the Ukraine, to take in orphans and to raise orphans in a very poor country. We heard from Reverend Gabby Cabrossi and the team from Bankstown Uniting Church giving away free food out on the Hume Highway, just giving away food to families that can't, that can't put food on the table in the midst of this lockdown. We heard from Brother Elisha from India taking in Dalit children, the lowest of the low, giving them an education, giving them hope, feeding the elderly that the, the society would otherwise cast out. These are true greats in Jesus' book. So look to them as an inspiring example, I reckon, or indeed look to their hero, Jesus himself. Jesus himself, of course, on the cross embodies selflessness. He himself embodies true greatness in the way that he lived and in the way that he died. He showed us what true greatness looks like. Let me leave you with a prayer that I think captures this notion of turning the world's idea of greatness on its head, of casting aside and laying down our own agendas. It was by another wonderful follower of Jesus Christ, another radical follower of Jesus Christ by the name of, of John Wesley, who I know some of you will be very familiar with. He was the founder of the Methodist Church, the Methodist tradition in which we stand here at church in the marketplace. And he wrote a very powerful prayer called the Covenant Prayer. I know many of you will be familiar with it. I reckon some of you could even recite it by heart. It's a very powerful prayer of saying no to the things of this world and, and yes to the things of God. Note that it, ambition itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. I hate you to think that we shouldn't be striving. Paul, of course, elsewhere in the New Testament 
uses a sporting analogy. He says, don't you know, in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. But the prize isn't his own stuff, his own glory, his own agenda. It's God's heavenly kingdom. But John Wesley writes this. I'll put it up on the screen. Why don't you pray it with me? I'm no longer my own, but yours. Think about that for a second. Isn't that radical? I'm no longer my own, Lord. I am yours. Put me to what you will, not my will, but yours, Lord. Rank me with whom you will. I don't just desire to be amongst the people that I know and love and familiar with. No, no, no. Put me to who you want me to be around and serve, Lord. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. What a powerful prayer that is. I yield all things to you, Lord. Can I challenge you this week, like John Wesley, like Jesus Christ himself, to yield all things to God's pleasure and thereby achieve true greatness in this life and the next. Amen.